In the summer of 1941, Tokyo was beginning to stink. The American-imposed oil embargo had so reduced fuel consumption that human excrement, because Tokyo didn't have much of a uh, sewer system, couldn't be trucked out of the city. These extreme pressures helped lead to the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Today, the United States and the West are engaged in a sanctions campaign to try and force the Russians to back out of their war in Ukraine. I'm Eric Sand from the Naval War College, here with my colleague, Emily Holland of the Naval War College's Russia Maritime Studies Institute. These opinions are our own, and we just wanna take a second to check in on what's going on uh, with the new sanctions in Ukraine. So Emily, today, uh, the EU announced a new tranche of sanctions. Can you tell us a little bit about those sanctions, what they cover, what's still uh, allowed for trade with Russia? Sure. Well, today the EU adopted its fifth round of sanctions against Russia over its military actions in Ukraine. And there are a few sort of main points. The first one is a prohibition to purchase coal and other solid fuels into the EU if they originate from Russia. So this is the first time the EU is taking a, a hard energy sanction uh, against Russia. This is it's not touching oil or natural gas yet. Um, and, and coal is really a, sort of a relatively minor commodity uh, for the Europeans. But nevertheless, uh, imports of coal into the EU are worth about 8 billion euros per year. So that's a significant sort of step that they're taking. Um, there's sort of also further export bans on some other high-end electronics and software, um, wood and cement, and some other key uh, sanctions against oligarchs, business people, and high-ranking Kremlin officials. And the final sort of major thing in this fifth round of package of sanctions is that there is a full transaction ban uh, imposed against four key Russian banks, which represent about a 23% share of the Russian banking sector. So, so those are being de-swifted. So the, the fifth round is pretty, is pretty uh, severe. It's following sort of the tradition of, of ramping up the sanctions, but it leaves out key uh, imports of oil and natural gas. Thanks, so, Emily. Go ahead. So, so I actually had a question for you, Eric, uh, because I was so inter interested in, in your prompt. And, you know, it's very clear that there are, this is an unprecedented, at least in the modern era, isolation of a major economy, especially one that's a commodities exporter state. So I'm wondering what you think is sort of the key difference now between, say, 1917 or 1941, where we're really concerned about escalation management given the state of sanctions. Yeah, Emily, I think I think that's exactly right. So you hit on one of the big differences, which is that Russia is a major commodities exporter, whereas the targets of economic isolation that has led to escalation in the past, like Japan and Germany, were generally raw materials importers. But I think there's another big difference, too, and that's uh, economic power was much more concentrated in 1917 and 1941 in a handful of small of powerful states many of which had large empires. And so a coalition of a few states could impose very stringent uh, means of economic isolation. Today, economic power is much more diffuse. India is a major economy. Obviously, China is a major economy, and they're not participating in these sanctions. So that means that for the sanctions to be effective, Western countries will need to do much more to interrupt the means of trade, uh, whether that's uh, stopping ships, uh, using the financial system, uh, the financial system is probably the one big example where maybe financial power is more concentrated today uh, than it was in the past. Uh, this isn't an unprecedented problem. Uh, other trading partners who weren't part of the sanctions regime existed uh, in those previous conflicts, uh, but those other 
uh, potential trading partners are now much bigger economies uh, than they were uh, in the past. Uh, so Emily, as, as we sort of think about these differences and, and how the sanctions have changed, where do you think uh, this might go next? Well, I mean, we're talking right now sort of um, a, a week after the uh, discovery of the atrocities of the Russian armed forces at Bucha. And really the only thing that is, you know, the, the only way to go forward is a sort of large scale EU embargo of Russian oil and natural gas, which so far is not on the table because certain countries have said it's just too damaging uh, to, to sort of to begin this conversation or to, to really seriously consider um, a, a full on a European embargo of Russian oil and gas. And that's really because some states are, are just extremely dependent and it's not very easily substitutable. So this would, you know, actually implementing this embargo would cause, you know, pretty severe economic devastation to, to European allies. But that really is the only next step because, you know, Russia makes about $700 million a day from its oil, from its oil exports. It's a, it's a huge uh, revenue source. All right, so, so we're almost sort of at max sanctions, it sounds like. You know, I, yeah. I think that the thing that, that I watch uh, in terms of the, the risk that economic isolation could be so tight that it might lead uh, a state to choose to, to escalate the war, it could lead Russia to escalate the war, is really what the shortages in the Russian economy are. And those shortages could either directly affect military goods or they could be shortages that really begin to affect quality of life, like um, food or energy. And if those uh, shortages become severe enough, uh, they'll build little by little over time, but that the Russian government seems like it doesn't have much runway for continued uh, military action or continued political survival. Uh, that's really what is going to make me start to worry. Yeah, it seems like we're getting there.